0: When I saw the, uh, the lectionary readings for this morning a few weeks ago, um, I was immediately drawn to this passage from 2 Peter. This was written toward the end, end of Peter's life. He will soon go before Emperor Nero and be sentenced to death by crucifixion. Church history tells us that when that happened, he requested that he be crucified upside down because he didn't feel that he was worthy to die in the same manner as his savior. Sometime right around here, Paul is also sentenced to death by beheading. I mean, the two of them, I mean, critical, it was a critical time in the church. These were two pillars of the faith. And so these are some of the last words that Peter will write. And he wants to remind his readers that it wasn't cleverly devised stories, that that was what we read. It wasn't cleverly devised stories that he's been telling them all these years. Now, he's been sharing with them what was shared with him. He's been telling them about what he experienced during those three years when he lived with Jesus and in the years since, how Jesus had changed his life. Today is the last Sunday of Epiphany, both our series and the season in the church. And when I think about Epiphany, I think of aha moments. I think of a sudden realization that tends to change things. And in light of that, I've been thinking about um, what's going on on the campus at Asbury Seminary. Any of you familiar with what's going on? So on February 8th, um, at an ordinary chapel service, some students stayed at the end just to pray. And something was happening. The spirit was moving and more and more people came and it's still going on. Uh, People have come from other cities and even states and even nations. And I I first heard about it a few days after it had started and I've kind of been keeping up with it. And I remembered a time when I would have probably gotten in the car and gone to Kentucky. Um, When I was in college, I was early on in my spiritual journey, but I was passionate. I was hungry for God to do something in my midst. I was passionate, (laughs) zealous, and really wanted to see a move of God. It's been a lot of years since then. I find myself at a different place today. I imagine I've gained knowledge and wisdom, but I recognize that I've lost some of that passion, some of that hunger, some of that childlike faith. And so I've been thinking about that this last week or so. I've been thinking about epiphany. I've been thinking about these words from Peter. Epiphany is also the time of the church year that we focus on Jesus's life, We spend time in the Gospels in this beautiful and compelling life. And so I found myself over the last couple of weeks just wanting to tell some stories this week. My first thought was to tell you Peter's story. The more I thought about it, it's tough to do that in 30 minutes. So what I decided to do is I want to tell you the story this morning about one day that Peter had with Jesus. It was an incredible day filled with action and adventure. It was a day that would forever be etched in Peter's memory. Do you, do you, can you think about a day like that in your life? Maybe it was long ago, maybe it was recent, but just a day that will forever be etched in your memory. I, I remember a day like this. It was about eight years ago and our family was in San Francisco for a few days. We were staying at a friend's house in Oakland and uh, on this one morning, we took BART from Oakland to San Francisco for a full day of exploring. Uh, we started at the Ferry Building and then walked, and you gotta, you gotta know, so we had a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old. We ended up walking a lot of miles, and, and walking in San Francisco is very different than walking in Memphis. A lot of this, a lot of this. But we were out to explore, and we were happy, and we, uh, we went into Chinatown. It was the first time we'd ever visited a Chinatown. The, uh, the dim sum and the, the tea houses and the colors and the culture. Ever since then, anytime we go to a city with a Chinatown, we, we go explore Chinatown. From there, we kept going north. We went to North Beach, uh, uh, City Light Bookstore, um, Pizza, Coit Tower. And then um, we capped off about eight miles of walking uh, at Fisherman's Wharf where we ended the day with um, hot fudge sundays from Gear Deli. So um, here's a photo of our family, our, our, the boys and I, and if you'll notice, the fella on the left, that's seven-year-old Micah, I did ask his permission to show this. I don't remember what's going on in his mind if it's, um, I really like chocolate, or let 's go do another eight miles, Dad, or what? but um, that was a day that our family will never forget, so much so that we 're going back to San Francisco this summer, and we 're going to recreate that day and that picture, right So likewise, this was a day that Peter would never forget. you can yeah that 's fine um So this was a day that Peter would never forget too. So I wanna tell you a story. Um, As we get started, just a couple of things to note. First, so I grew up in church all my life, grew up around the Bible, and really up until that time in college, the Bible was kind of bland, it was kind of boring, I can say that. Um, But sometime in those real formative years, end of high school, end of college, the Bible began to come alive to me, and in large part because I begin to immerse myself in the stories. I begin to come to these stories with curiosity and imagination. And so my encouragement for you this morning is to, um, you may feel like, yeah, I get the jaded, the cynical, the, all of those things. I encourage you this morning to just kinda put on your hat of imagination and curiosity I should also tell you that I'm going to be taking a little bit of artistic license here and there. Um, my title this morning is An Ordinary Day with Jesus. And as you'll see, it is far from the ordinary that we experience. Um, I'm not positive that all of this happened in one day. But as I look at the, the gospel, a couple of gospel accounts, it seems to me um, that that's what happened. That's how I'm gonna tell it. Um, so we find the story beginning in Luke chapter five. You're welcome to turn there, but if you, if you trust that I'm not gonna be telling cleverly devised stories, I invite you to just kinda sit back and listen. But, but this starts in Luke chapter five, and the beginning of Luke chapter five is, is Jesus calling those disciples. So Peter and his brother Andrew, James, and his brother John, they're fishermen. And he calls them that, he, that Jesus is gonna be their rabbi, their teacher, and, and these, they're gonna be his disciples, his students, his apprentices. And basically he's calling them to life together with him. And so this is in chapter five, so it's pretty early on in Jesus's relationship with Peter. And so this story begins with Jesus teaching in a house, and it's a packed house, it's standing room only. And on this particular morning, some guys come and they are carrying their friend on a mat. The reason they're carrying him on a mat is because he's paralyzed. And we don't know where they're from, if they're from that town or if they've traveled far away, but they've heard about Jesus. They've heard about his healings and they wonder if perhaps Jesus can help their buddy. But there's one problem it's a packed house. They're not getting in this house. So a lot of people in that moment would give up. And their buddy that's on the mat, that's kind of where he's at. And he's like, hey guys, I appreciate you coming all this way. I appreciate you trying, but let's go home. But these guys um, aren't giving up that easily. And uh, so they're kind of standing there, scratching their heads, trying to figure it out. And and one guy, the, the creative one, he says, I got an idea we need to get our buddy on the roof. We need to make a hole in the roof and we need to let our buddy down to Jesus. And the other guys are nodding. The guy on the mat is like, uh, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea. But the next thing they know, they're somehow getting him on the roof. So Jesus is underneath them, in the house, teaching. All of a sudden, he hears something and stuff is falling on his head. And he steps back and he looks up and this guy is being lowered down and these guys are like, hey, Jesus. And uh, I can just imagine Jesus in that moment laughing. I'm glad he didn't say, nope, back up you go, I'm teaching. He just laughs and then he says something to him. He looks down at him, he's right there and he says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And you gotta think in that moment, the guy's like, hmm, I don't know that I came for that, but now let me back up. I said there's a lot of people in this house. One of the groups of people that are there are the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders. And for a little while, they've been going everywhere Jesus goes. They're kind of jealous of the crowds and everything that he's doing, but really they just don't like some of the things that Jesus is saying. It doesn't line up. Yet here he is, this rabbi. And so they've been following Jesus around, trying to catch him in a mistake, in a lie. And this is their moment. Excuse me, Jesus, did you say that this man's sins are forgiven? Excuse me, Jesus, isn't it true that only God can forgive sins? So are you equating yourself with God? Blasphemy, that's their favorite word. It's a big deal. Blasphemy is a big deal. And they think they've got him. They think they've got him. Now, a lot of people were intimidated by the Pharisees. You didn't wanna mess with them, but not Jesus. Here's what he said. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. So the fellow stands up, picks up his mat and goes home. And what do the Pharisees say? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) They're not going there. Now, here's my curiosity. I'm wondering whose house this was. And what's he thinking right now? He's got a hole in his house, in his roof. But I do imagine Jesus turning to Peter and saying, Peter, write this down. No more houses. we got to get out of the houses. So Jesus leaves, and who comes with him? Well, everyone comes with him. It's his disciples, some of these neighbors, uh, the Pharisees, maybe even the guy and his buddies. He's not quite ready to go home after he can now walk. So they're out of the house, they're walking, they're walking by a lake, and there's this guy who's watching him. He's seen Jesus many times before. He's wanted to talk to him, but he hasn't summoned up the courage. And there's a big reason for that. His name is Matthew and he's a tax collector. And what you gotta know about tax collectors is they were hated. There's two reasons for that. Number one, they were collecting taxes not for their own nation, but for Rome. And the taxes were very unfair, very unjust. But what made it worse is that it was kind of the worst kept secret that Rome allowed them to keep a little something something for themselves. Everybody knew it. And so these tax collectors were were stealing from their own people and they were hated as a result. So Matthew's thinking about all this as he's watching Jesus. You know, he knows there's something missing in his life. He's got money, he's got a lot of money. But he's, if he were being honest, he'd tell you that he's kind of miserable. So he knows he has no shot. He knows he has no shot with Jesus. So all he can do is sit there and stare. Now, have you ever been staring at somebody and gotten caught? <laughs> I think that's what happens. He's staring at Jesus and then Jesus turns and he makes eye contact and Matthew goes, Turns away. But then as the, if this was a movie and the music, the intensity, is the music's swelling, Jesus starts walking to him. And Peter's like, yes, go get him, Jesus. And Jesus walks over to him. And he looks down and he utters two words, follow me. Now in, in that moment, Peter is beyond perplexed. You know Why? because those were the two words that he had uttered to him not that long ago. This invitation to come and follow him, to be with him, to live life with him. And now he's given that same invitation to a tax collector. That didn't add up. If Peter was perplexed, you can't imagine what Matthew is thinking right now. He is shocked. But there's something about Jesus's eyes, there's something about what he knows about Jesus that. He can't believe it, but he believes it. He believes that Jesus's invitation is legit. And so he decides there and then to leave and follow Jesus. Now, now Matthew's very excited in this moment. And he says to Jesus, hey, could I throw you a big dinner party today? Could you come to my house today and let's celebrate? My life has changed. Jesus says, sure. Now, when you are shunned by your community, your entire community, who do you invite to a dinner party? Well, the story says you invite other tax collectors and get this other sinners. That's, that's the friends of Matthew. And so that's who's coming to this party. So Jesus says, let's go. And who comes with them? Well, everyone comes with them. The disciples, the Pharisees, this. This guy and his buddies, they're looking forward to this. Now the Pharisees go, but they're not liking this one bit. They're not liking this at all, that this rabbi would associate with these unclean sinners. And they want to voice their displeasure, but this time they've learned they're not gonna go to Jesus with this. So they decide to go to Peter and they say, Peter, why does your rabbi associate with these unclean sinners? I can just imagine Peter, um, some kind of meat on, the, on a stick at that moment and maybe some wine dribbling down his beard and um, he's not really thought about that. He's just happy to be there. So Jesus hears what's going on. And he hears the question and he comes. They weren't looking for Jesus to answer it, but he does. Here's what he says. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call sinners to turn from their sins, not to spend my time with those who think they're already good enough. It's a pretty good mic drop, right? People who know they need help. That's who Jesus loves spending his time with. Now, as all of this is going on, this man bursts in the door and he flings himself down before Jesus and everybody knows who he is. His name is Jairus, and he's the leader of the local synagogue, the house of worship. Now, we don't know anything about Jairus. We don't know if he's a seeker, if he's a friend of Jesus. We don't know if he's more like the Pharisees, and he's a little bit jealous of Jesus and trying to catch him in an error. It doesn't matter. If, if he is in that place, when you're desperate, it goes out the window, When you have a deep need, it doesn't matter what you thought. If you believe this man can help you, you go to him. Well, he is desperate. He has a 12-year-old daughter who is at the point of death. Nothing else can be done, but he thinks maybe Jesus can help. So he goes, he flings himself at Jesus. He tells him what's going on. He says, will you come to my house? Jesus says, sure, let's go. So Jesus leaves, and who comes with him? Everybody comes with him. The disciples, the Pharisees, this guy who was healed, and his buddies, Matthew, all these tax collectors and other sinners, they're all going. By this point, the road is packed with people walking. And Jairus is out front, right? He's in a hurry. He's like, we gotta get there. Every so often, he's looking over his shoulder to make sure Jesus is still following. And this one time he looks over his shoulder and Jesus has stopped. There was a lady in the crowd. We don't know how long she's been following that day, if she was in that initial house or what. But she too has a need. She's been suffering from a bleeding condition for 12 years. She's spent all this money on doctors and they haven't been able to help her. And she wonders maybe this jesus can help me but he sure looks busy he's helping the gyrus right now i'm i can't i can't interrupt that so she thinks but i wonder what would happen if i just reached out and touched his coat i wonder what would happen and so she she squeezes through the crowd and she reaches out and she just grabs hold of it and jesus stops <laughs> And Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter's like, Jesus, there's a ton of people over here. Everybody's touching you. And he says, no, somebody touched me and power left my body. So now they all think they're in trouble. Did you touch, I didn't touch him. Did you touch him? And this lady comes forward and she's trembling, not because she thinks she's in trouble, She's trembling because she has just been healed. She knows it. the minute she touched that coat, she felt that she was healed. And so she comes trembling before Jesus and tells him what happened. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. I love this word for peace, it's wholeness. Go in wholeness. So Jairus is watching all this, it's awesome, it's amazing. Would you please come? Can we we get on with it again? And about that moment, two men from Jairus' house come and they say, I'm sorry, she's died. There's no need to trouble the teacher anymore. I can imagine that he just goes limp. His friends are trying to just keep him from falling. his world is his his world is is gone and Jesus overhears it and Jesus comes and he lifts his head up and eye to eye he says don't worry just believe she will be well Jairus believes And they continue on to his home. And when he gets there, everyone's following him, but he makes everybody stay outside except for Peter, James, and John. And they, along with Jairus, go in the house. And it is pandemonium in that house. Wailing and mourning. Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead, she's just asleep. And I think that's one of those things you should not say unless you are 100% sure. They laugh at him because they know she's dead. But Jesus goes to this little girl, takes her hand and says, my child, get up. At once her spirit returned and she was alive. Her parents have been weeping. They're continuing to weep, but it's a different kind of weeping. They're overjoyed. Uh, Peter, James, and John have never seen anything like this. They are drained by this point. But it's amazing. It's amazing. Jesus in all practicality says to the parents, hey, get her something to eat. She's hungry. <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you die and come back to life. So, uh, so that's the end of story time this morning. Um, I just want to close with a question. Who who do you relate to in this story? The great thing about a story like this is that next year I come to the story, I may relate to someone different. But who do you relate to? Do you do you feel a little like Peter? When you finally think you figured out Jesus, he does something very unexpected, often challenging. Do you relate to Jairus or the guy who was healed? Do you have a need? Do you have a need? and you believe Jesus might be able to help you. You're not sure, but maybe. Do you relate to Matthew or this woman? Um, You too find yourself with a need, but maybe you don't believe that due to who you are or what you've done, that Jesus would want to spend any time with you, that Jesus would be available to you. Or maybe... You come here and you're listening to these stories and you recognize that you too have been a little cynical and jaded. You've grown up with maybe some of these stories. And uh, maybe you're feeling like, I need to grow young. I need to come back to some of that childlike faith. Wherever you are this morning, I hope that you're encouraged by the story. I I hope that you find yourselves drawn in, maybe a little more than normal. And above all, I hope that you find yourself drawn to Jesus. I think, to me, worship starts with the thought that Jesus is awesome. And as I come to these stories, that's what I'm left with. And I don't understand it. And I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of this kind of stuff. But I find myself believing I find myself wanting a little more. And that's the first part of worship. And that's what these stories are meant to do to draw us in, to remind us of this God who loves us, who entered into our world as a human, who lived this beautiful, compelling life that we're drawn to, who died a death so that we could live these kinds of lives and who conquered death and is with us today. let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these stories that have been preserved for us today through all of these years. Thank you for just the way that you lived, the way that you worked. There's so much in these stories that I'm drawn to, so much that I'm grateful for, things that I don't understand, things that I wonder how I would have responded if I had been Peter or some of these others. But I'm grateful for your work and I'm grateful that you want to work today. I'm grateful that we get to come before you now and respond in communion, be reminded of, the, of your death. I'm grateful that we get to worship you I pray that you'd make us young again. I pray that you would restore to us just childlike faith that maybe we once had, passion that we once had. If it's grown a little cold, if it's grown a little lukewarm, would you restore us? Would you revive us? Would you stir our hearts this morning? May we confess our sins. May we confess the things that are holding us back from you. May we worship you. May we receive your love this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.